Tonight we're beginning a new study called Core 52, and our plan is on Sunday nights throughout this year, we're going to be focusing on mastering 52 of the most important passages in the Bible. Now, I recognize that whenever you talk about the most important passages, that that's debatable. I understand that, that you could pick out another 50 or 52 and say, well, no, I think this one's pretty important. And, and the whole Word of God is important, uh, but an attempt has been made at least to identify 52 verses throughout the Bible that if you could master that, then you could really understand the scope and the message of the entire Bible. I got this idea when I found this book called Core 52. I'll be using this book throughout the year as one of my resources. Uh, however, quite frankly, tonight I didn't even use this book except for the title uh, and, and the, the text. Uh, I'm also using this year uh, Wayne Gruden's Systematic Theology, uh, a book by uh, Tom Holliday, uh, Foundations, and so different resources, some other things, some own personal stuff I'll be using. But I did want you to know that there is a book called Core 52. If you want to get it, that's fine. Again, we'll use some of it, but, but not necessarily uh, all of it. But here's really what I want to do. I'll, this year, I want to help you focus on those Core 52 passages, those uh, passages that, that basically I want you to think of these passages as lenses through which you can read the rest of the Bible with more clarity and more confidence. Uh, essentially, I want to help you basically build your Bible IQ this year. You know, a study showed that 80% of all church members want to know the Bible better. Think about that for a moment. 80% of church members want to know the Bible better, which makes me wonder about the other 20%. I know that on our, on our uh, Israel trip, on the last night, we always have a farewell dinner, and we talk about what has God done in your life during this trip, that kind of thing. And one of the things that I heard more than once, and I've heard it, I think, every time we've gone to Israel, is that people have said, and they said on this trip, I want to go back, and it makes me want to read my Bible. It makes me want to study my Bible. And that's one of the reasons I'm thankful for that trip. But a lot of you have that desire. You want to study your Bible. You want to learn your Bible. And I'm so appreciative of, of this movement that is kind of growing in our church towards learning and studying and applying the Bible. I know a lot of you are reading chronologically through the Bible this year. Uh, Donna, I think maybe kind of heading that up maybe on, on Facebook and lots of other, uh, Eunice is part of that and, and I know my wife's bought a chronological Bible and uh, I, I just applaud you for that. If you want to read the Bible chronologically, that's awesome. Listen, I'm for anything that gets you in the Word of God. And so I, I just applaud you for your desire to study. Others are using other approaches and plans, and, and I'm grateful that you are. But here's what I want to ask you today, as, or tonight as we start out. What's some of the biggest barriers to increasing your Bible IQ? Uh, what is it that sometimes might be a hindrance to increasing your Bible IQ? All right, didn't have an interest to, but now you do. What changed? Okay. <laughs> All right, all right. Somebody else, what's a barrier to increasing your Bible IQ? Where to start? Absolutely. This is a big book. Where do you start? Very good question. What's another one? Time. We're busy people. And, and we're going to try to understand this big book. We don't have time for that, okay? Any others that you can think of? Uh-huh. Just say it like it is, Brad. I didn't say that. Brad said it. And he didn't say it. R.C. Sproul said it. But I will say that he's right. Uh, let's be honest. It takes a lot of work to study this book. Now, you can read it pretty easily. You can read it just like you read the newspaper, right? 
It doesn't take a lot of work to read it. It takes a lot of work to understand it, to study it, to apply it. And to increase your Bible IQ, we're going to have to do some studying. So I hope that you're going to join us on Sunday nights. And we're going to take the Word of God. And we're going to look at 52 different verses throughout this year. And help us, uh, the Lord's going to help us to understand how the Bible fits together. And what these verses, these foundational verses, what they mean for the rest of the Word of God. Um, we're basically going to use a kind of a three, three-pronged approach. Uh, each Sunday night, we're going to look at, hopefully, two biblical passages, two biblical themes. Um, tonight, we're only going to look at one because tonight is so foundational to, to the rest of the Bible. We're, we're only going to have time to look at one, but I hope that on most Sunday nights, we'll actually be looking at two different verses, two different themes, two different core beliefs uh, that might be a challenge, but that's hopefully what we're going to do. Uh, and so we're going to do that. And then the second prong on our study is this. Uh, we, in addition to that, to that core verse, we'll be looking at other stories or verses in the Bible that supplement that. We're going to do that a lot tonight. And then in addition to that, the third prong of our three-prong three approach is that I'm going to ask you to memorize these 52 verses. Tonight's, tonight's verse is going to be very easy, all right? But I'm going to ask you to memorize these verses as well. So, so let me show you the three prongs again. Number one, uh, we're going to look at one or two different verses each week. Most weeks we'll look at two. Then we're going to supplement that with other stories, passages, etc. throughout the Bible to see how, the, how it fits throughout the Bible. That's the second prong. And the third prong is uh, let's memorize 52 verses together, okay? So tonight, I want to talk to you about creation. We've got to begin where the Bible begins. And so we began by opening our Bibles, and the very first words of the Bible, very familiar to you, but I hope that you won't tune it out simply because this is something familiar to you. Because you need to understand that the first words of the Bible, the very first verse of the Bible, is foundational to everything else that the Bible teaches can't stress that enough. So here's the, the, the verse. I think I put it on your notes as well. Here's the verse we're going to focus on. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think about this for a second. As God was inspiring folks to write Scripture, and as, he was, as these folks were writing the Scripture, God himself declared... All right, this is where we got to start. They have to understand this before they can understand the rest of the book. So here's where we're going to start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So much of the Bible's message hangs on that one verse. I'm going to show you that tonight. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That verse is highlighted in my Bible. I would suggest you highlight it in yours or underline it, somehow mark it. You may even want to write in the column of your Bible, core verse. Core verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you look at this verse and think about it, this verse presents us with two key questions. The first one is, why did God create the world? And the second one is, how did God create the world? And that's where we're going to begin to dig into how this verse affects the rest of the Bible. Okay? So I want to deal with that very first question, a foundational question. Why did God create the world? Why did he create? And, and I'm going to give you some answers. Uh, fill in the blanks as we go. First of all, God created for his own sake. God created for his own sake. And I'm going to explain that and illustrate it for you. But you need to get this. God created for his own sake. Here's what I mean by that. God created simply because he enjoys creating. Have you ever done that? Have you ever made something for the pure joy of making it? Maybe, maybe you sew for the pure joy of sewing and making a garment. Or maybe you do woodworking for the pure joy of making that you, you just enjoy creating that maybe you paint and for the pure joy of 
of, of painting, or maybe you write stories for the pure joy of, of writing. The reason you're doing it is because there comes a joy in creating. Now, I want you to read with me. Open your Bibles. I told you we're going to be all over the Scripture. I want you to go to the New Testament, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And I want you to see how this New Testament verse applies back to Genesis 1.1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Get your pen ready. I'm going to ask you to mark something. For by him all things were, what's that next word? For by him all things were created, and then to illustrate that, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were, there's that word again, created by him, and underline these words, for him. All things were created by him and, here's the important last two words, for him. You see, ultimately creation is for God and not for you. He wants us to enjoy his creation and he wants us to enjoy him. But you need to understand that creation ultimately is not for you. Can I say it to you this way? You are not the center of the universe. Everything in creation, according to Paul in Colossians 1, was created by him and, say the last words, and for him. If you, We could just stay here for the rest of the night and look throughout Scripture of how God has ownership of everything created by him and for him. And if you've ever felt the pure joy of just making something, you have a clue of what it means for God to create something for his own sake. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why? God created it for himself. It's hard for me to get my mind totally around that, but that's what Scripture says. God didn't create it for you. We're part of his creation. We enjoy his creation, but creation was brought about by him and for him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth simply because he enjoyed creating by him and for him. Number two, God's, God created to express his sovereignty. God created to express his sovereignty. We're trying to answer that basic question. Why did God create the heavens and the earth? Well, God created to express his sovereignty. What does the word sovereignty mean to you? What, what does that word mean? It's a big word. What does sovereignty mean? Hmm? Kingdom? Give me another word. Supremacy? In control. Sovereignty is a big word that means ultimately God is in charge. God is in, in control. God's creation, did you understand, listen to this, do you understand that God's creation expresses His control? That creation itself demonstrates that God is in control. I'll give you an example. When was the last time you made the sun come up? When was the last time you made the sun go down? When was the last time you made it rain? When was the last time you made the wind blow? Creation itself expresses the sovereignty of God. On a daily basis, creation demonstrates God is in control. One of the reasons God created was to express His sovereignty. Now, this belief that God is in control, that, that creation demonstrates the control or the sovereignty of God, this belief was prominent in the early church. I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Again, we're going to be all over the Bible. We're starting as our base verse, Genesis 1-1, but we're going to be all over the Bible to understand Genesis 1-1. So we go now to Acts chapter 4, verse 24. 
I want you to see how this belief was prominent in the early church. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. Let me give you the context. Peter and John were arrested. They were brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. And it says in verse 23, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. That is, they had, they, they had been threatened. You need to stop doing what you're doing. Peter and John were threatened by the Sanhedrin. And, and so they go back and explain that to their people. Verse 24 is what I want you to see. When they, the New Testament believers, that first New Testament church, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God and look at what they said in their prayer. How did they address God in their prayer? Sovereign Lord. And then notice what they said. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Isn't that interesting how they started that prayer? They started their prayer by, by, by acknowledging, first of all, God's sovereignty over everything, that he's in charge, and then expressly saying, we just look at creation, we understand you're in charge. Sanhedrin thinks they're in charge. They think that they're in control. But you are the sovereign Lord. You are in control. And you have, it's so interesting to me, where they say, and you have created the heavens and the earth. You've created everything. See, creation really does express the sovereignty of God. And this belief was prominent in the early church. Let me show you another example. Paul at Lystra in Acts chapter 14. Go over a few chapters to Acts chapter 14. <clears throat> Let me give you the context here. There, Paul is on a missionary journey. And he's in the city of Lystra. And, and he, while in the city of Lystra, he heals a man who had been lame from birth. And when he healed the man, the people got very excited at what they saw. So, beginning of verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. They thought Paul and Barnabas were actually gods because of their ability to heal this lame man. Verse 12, Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them, Paul and Barnabas. And I want you to notice how they responded to this. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. And notice what he says, To the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And when Paul was making his case, don't worship us, worship the one who created everything. Don't worship us, we're just his representative. But there is a God, a true and living God, who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Creation expresses the sovereignty of God. Let me show you this real quickly in a few other verses. Going over to the Old Testament now, to the book of Psalms. Uh, let's go to Psalm 89. Psalm 89, verse 11. Look at what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 89, verse 11. The heavens are yours, and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. The heavens are who? Yours. The world is yours. And here's the reason. Because you are the one who founded it. Created it. You see, this message of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This message goes throughout all of Scripture. 
this message is amplified again and again and again throughout the Bible. Let me go to another one. Psalm 24. I think it's verse 1. Let me check. Uh, Psalm 24. Yeah, Psalm 24, verse 1. A very similar message, this time written by David in Psalm 24, verse 1. He said, the earth is the Lord's. And watch this. And what's that next word? Everything in it. The world. And all who live in it. And then he tells us why in verse 2. For, or because, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I'm going to tell you how this plays out in Scripture. This, this is going to be so good for some of you. Have you ever read through the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, have you ever read in the Bible, maybe in the Old Testament, places where you think, why did God do that? You know? I'll give you a good example. Promised land. His people coming out of, out of slavery, coming out of Egypt. And he, he says, I want you to go to the land that I'm going to lead you to, the promised land. And when, he gets to, when they get to the edge of the promised land, they're on the eastern side of the Jordan River, about to go over into Jericho. And God says, okay, okay, you're about to go in the promised land. But you're going to have to take it. They're not going to give it to you. You're going to have to take it from them. So I want you to go in. I don't want you to fight in Jericho. And we're going to conquer Jericho. Then we're going to go to the city of Ai. And we're going to conquer that city. Then we're going to go to this city and that city and this city and that city. And you're going to conquer these people. And you're going to take the land from them. And we look at that and say, that doesn't sound very Christian. You know why God could say that? Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's. He created it, and the world, and everything in it. I want to tell you something. God owns every square inch of this planet. Your deed may be on, your, your name may be on the deed of your house, and you may think you own 30 acres. You only have it for a short time. God owns every piece of dirt on this planet. And I'll tell you why. He created it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's why he could give it away to somebody else. That's why he could say to his people, I'm giving you this promised land, and we're going to take it away from these people, and I'm going to give it to you because it really doesn't belong to them. It belongs to me because I am the one, the sovereign Lord who created the heavens and the earth. Does that make sense? Why did God create? That's the big question we're working on. Why did God create? <clears throat> he created to express His sovereignty. The earth is the Lord's. He owns everything, including you. Everything you have is simply on loan. You got it for a short time. You may have it for 60, 70, 80, 90. You, you might even have it for 100 years, but you're going to turn loose of it. It's not really yours. It never has been yours. God just allows you to use it right now. You see, you can't ignore God's sovereignty. If you don't hear anything else tonight, I'm about to start preaching. If you don't hear anything else tonight, you need to hear this. You cannot ignore the sovereignty of God. Because He is sovereign whether you want Him to be or not. You can't change the sovereignty of God. God is, is a gracious owner, but He's the owner. He is a patient owner, but He is the owner. He is a loving owner, but He is the owner. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Genesis 1.1, weaving its way through Scripture. I want to show you one other before we move on to the next point. I want you to go to, back to the New Testament. Uh, go to Mark chapter 13. I want to show you something Jesus said. Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. 
Look at verse 32. Beginning of verse 32. No one knows about that day, talking about the last day, the end of time. Jesus is speaking. He says, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only the Father. Now, watch what he says, verse 33. Be on your guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away, and he leaves his house, and he puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the... What's the next word? When the what? When the owner of the house will come, or will come back whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Jesus in this text talks about only the Father knows the times and the season that he's going to come back, and he knows because he's the owner. Why did God create? Give me the first one. You've got it on your notes. Why did God create? He created to... For his own sake. He created number two. Express his sovereignty. Number three. He created to reflect his character. He created to reflect his character. I know we're back and forth all over the Bible. But let's go back to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19 shows us that really creation reflects the character of God, especially the first few verses. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, all you've got to do, I'm going to tell you, make it, give you homework. All you've got to do is come sit in our parking lot and watch the sunset right here. Some of the most beautiful sunsets you'll ever see occur right here as the sun goes down over that pond and over that pasture absolutely gorgeous. I've taken 75 to 100 pictures trying to capture it, and, and I just can't capture it. The heavens indeed declare the glory of God. Notice what he says. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. I, and I love this next verse. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. And then it says, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Isn't it interesting? You can go anywhere in the world and you watch the sun rise and you watch the sun set. And it doesn't matter what language they speak. They can speak uh, uh, Spanish. They, they, they can speak English. They can speak Thai. They can speak uh, Cambodian. Just, it doesn't matter where you go in the world. Whatever language they speak. God speaks through his creation. Day after day, night after night, year after year, the heavens declare how great and marvelous and wonderful God is. Which brings us back to the New Testament, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. If time allows, we'll come back to this chapter again, but at least let's read this one verse. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly, what, church? Seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Paul is making the, the argument that God's invisible qualities can be seen in what he has made. He's talking about creation, if you read the whole context. That God's qualities are seen throughout his creation. In a very real sense, the invisible God is made visible through his creation. I mean, have you ever been to a place and seen something in cre creation and think, only God could have done that? The invisible is becoming visible through his creation. 
Now, l- let me give you an example. If you and I were to just take this whole group, all of you, and just turn you into a pottery class, all right, every one of us, we're going into pottery class, it would be something to watch you because it would reveal something about your, your character as you're making your pottery. Some of you, and I'm trying to be nice, I'll just say it the way it is. Some of you would take forever just to get the pot absolutely smooth, right? And, and it, would just, it would just drive you crazy that it's, it's not exactly the, quite the shape that you hoped it would be. Some of you would take a little instrument and you would carve and decorate and, and you would just great intricate details. Some of you would, would just see how fast you could make the pot. You'd want to be the first one in the class to get your pot done. Right, Brad? Yeah. <laughs> Eunice? <laughs> and, and then some of you would say, I'm better than that. I'm going to see how many pots I can make while you're making your one pot. I'm going to make three while you make one. And then some of you would be taking the clay and throwing it at people, and you wouldn't be making a pot at all. All we'd have to do is watch you make, create pottery and we'd learn something about your character. And really all you have to do is stand outside, look at the starry sky, or watch the sunrise or the sunset, and you see something about the character of God. All you have to do is realize that every morning God brings up the sun, and you didn't have anything to do with it, and you recognize how faithful God is. All you have to do is stand in the rain, stand outside when it's raining, and realize only God could water the earth, and He does it so regularly. And recognize something of how faithful God is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. And that statement is woven throughout the Bible. The Bible is filled with verses that tell us about God's creation. And how it's an expression of His character. Uh, We don't have time to read all of this. But I at least want to go to uh, Psalm 8. Psalm 8. I'm skipping a little bit here for sake of time. Psalm 8, and just read the whole psalm with me. Just follow along as I read. I'll try not to make too many comments. Just read it. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in Powdersville. Is that what, what your verse says? In all the earth. The psalmist said, I could go anywhere on this planet and your name would be majestic. And here's why. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Watch what he says. This is marked in my Bible. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You know what he's saying? I'm I'm seeing God in creation and I'm learning something about the character of God in creation and I feel so small because he's so big. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him ruler over the works of your hands. You have put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the fields, the birds of the air, the fish of of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Oh, Lord, Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Why did God create? God created, as we've said, the third one, most recently we said God created to reflect his character. Here's number four. God created to show his wisdom. This is my favorite. God created to show his wisdom. Would you go with me to the book of Job? If you're in Psalm, go to the left. Job 38. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> you need to know a little bit about the book of Job. Uh, I'm sure you know this book, but, but Job... Um, Job is going through a rough time, right? And he gets to this point where he's basically questioning, God, how could you let this happen? God, where were you? How dare you, God? And God listens. And then God speaks. 
Job 38, look what God says. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And then what he says, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. And then he says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. And he goes on and on and on. And, and <laughs> I, I like verse 12. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the donut's place? When was the last time you got up and ordered the sun to come up, big boy? You know why God created? One of the reasons God created was to show his wisdom. And he says to Job, you don't have the wisdom you think you do. Uh, Go over to the right to Psalm 104. Psalm 104, we're not going to have time to read all that I wanted to read in this text, but Psalm 104, beginning of verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his upper chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. Watch this. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with a deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. And you can continue reading all the way through, the, uh, through verse 24. At the end of verse 24, he says, How many of your works, O Lord, in wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. In wisdom, he says, you made them all. Why did God create? God created to demonstrate His wisdom. Let me read you one more while you're there in the Old Testament. Go over to the right to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19. It tells us so plainly in this verse, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundation. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. Creation shows the wisdom of God. That's one of the reasons God created. We don't have time to read it. I think it's on your notes. Proverbs 8, 22 through 31. Wisdom speaks in the first person. And wisdom is, is exemplified throughout the creation of God. Let's do this real quickly. Let's make a list just real quickly of things in creation that demonstrate the wisdom of God. For example, I'll give you one or two examples. For example, have you ever watched how birds sometimes can just sail? It's just, or, or just the fact that a bird can fly. They've got very small wings and, or like a hummingbird. It's like, wow, that, that's just amazing that that could happen. How is that even possible? It's the wisdom of God. Or you talk about if you keep bees and how bees go gather the nectar and they come into the beehive and they make honey. It's like, wow, that's an amazing thing. And they've got a queen that directs it all. They're all serving this queen. It's just the wisdom of God. Give me one or two other examples real quickly of the wisdom of God rebuilding creation. What? Gravity, absolutely. The human body, absolutely. Fingerprints, yes. So many examples. If we had time, we could really make a list of the wisdom of God that is displayed throughout creation. And it really all ties back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that's the first question. Why did God create? Here's the second question. How did God create? First of all, 
God created the universe out of nothing. We've talked about this recently, so I'm not going to say a whole lot about it, but I do at least want to mention it. Sometimes the Latin phrase used to describe this is the phrase ex nihilo, and it simply means out of nothing. And again, we've talked about that recently, so I'm not going to dig into that, but this means that before God began to create the universe, nothing else existed except God. You've got to let that sink in. This is the implication of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. They did not exist before He created them. What did He create them out of? He created them ex nihilo. He created them out of nothing. Here's the reason that's important. <clears throat> God didn't take something that already existed that was eternal. God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. There is only one that is eternal, and that is God. Everything, everything in our world, everything around us, everything had a beginning. Except for God. Now, let me show you how this applies to the New Testament. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Notice how John opens his gospel. In the beginning... Sounds just like Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word is referring to Jesus. And it says in verse 3, we've already looked at it once tonight. It says in verse 3, Through Him all things that were made, I'm sorry, through Him all things were made, Without him, nothing was made that has been made. The implication is very clear. Everything that exists was made by God. Now, while you're in John, go over to the right and find the book of Acts, chapter 17. And I'll show you how this plays out in the New Testament church. Paul, in the book of Acts, chapter 17, is in the city of Athens. The city of Athens was known for worshiping multiple gods, little g, gods. The city of Athens was, was filled with multiple little g, gods. And we pick up in chapter 17, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious, for as I talked around, or I'm sorry, as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. They didn't want to miss any, so they made an altar to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. And notice how Paul begins to talk to these men about this unknown God. Verse 24. The God who made the world... And everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because, watch this, he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Isn't it interesting that Paul, when he's speaking to these these religious people in Athens who are trying to search for knowledge and truth, he begins with basically Genesis 1-1. There is a God. He created everything. He created everyone that's in this world. And he created the world we live in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It may not surprise you that if you go to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 4, the song of the 24 elders in heaven is very interesting. Revelation chapter 4. Verse 11. 
the song of the 24 elders is this. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And here's why. For you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. That God is actually worshipped in heaven by the 24 elders simply because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's, that's emphasized in the, in the first verse, the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. It's emphasized in the last book of the Bible as well, that there is a God who created everything. How did God create the universe? He created the universe out of nothing. Number two, I've got to go quickly, but you hang on. God created, I love this one. God created by speaking things into existence. How did he create? By speaking things into existence. I'm going to go fast. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. How did God go about creating? Here's how God went about creating. God spoke and it happened. God personally and supernaturally spoke things into existence. Now listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. There are three major explanations for the world in which we live. Three major explanations for the world in which we live. One, of course, is evolution. That's the, that's the explanation that most school systems want to teach our children, evolution. We started with some primordial slime and we evolved. The second explanation for the world that we live in is something called theistic evolution. Theism, God, and, and evolution. It's trying to marry God with science. Theistic evolution basically says that yes, there was an evolution, but God was behind it. That God was the one who brought evolution about. Theistic evolution. The third alternative, of course, is supernatural creation. Which one do you lean on? I'll tell you which one I lean on. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was supernatural. And it was God creating. It, listen to me. It was nothing that evolved. It was God creating. Now, I understand. Ultimately, there is a moment of faith. Hear me. I understand ultimately there is a moment of faith in which we have to decide that I and all that I see are the result of the personal creative hand of God. I understand that ultimately there is a moment of faith when you have to say, I believe that or I accept that. And in fact, if you go to the book of Hebrews, real quickly, Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, by God speaking, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith we understand this, the writer of Hebrews says, By faith we understand that God spoke it and it came into being. And that is indeed what all of Scripture speaks about or teaches. That God spoke things into existence. Psalm 33. Psalm 33. I'm going to have to let this be the last Scripture, I think. Psalm 33. Verse 6 and 9. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Verse 9. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Let me give you three key points to remember and apply. Fill in the blanks as we go. I'm not going to be able to read the scriptures. First of all, number one, because God created the entire universe out of nothing, there is no matter in the universe that is eternal. Only God is eternal. Only God is eternal. Don't let somebody try to tell you that this world is eternal. This world is not eternal. This world was created by an eternal God. Number two, 
Nothing in the universe is to be worshipped instead of God or in addition to Him. Paul makes the case, I wish we had the time to dig into it. You can read it for yourself in Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 25, that people began to worship the Creator, I mean, the, the creation rather than the Creator. But the clear teaching of Scripture is that nothing in the universe should be worshipped instead of God or in addition to Him. You do not bow down and worship a tree. You worship the Creator of the tree. Number three, the Bible is the story of God's involvement with His creation and particularly the people in it. And I've given you the Scriptures. They're on your notes, aren't they, the Scriptures? I've given you the scriptures that you can read, but just look up here and I'll show you something. Look up here and I'll show you something. The Bible is the story of God's involvement with His creation, especially the people He created. The first key verse you need to understand, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1 is essential, foundational to the entire message of the Bible because the Bible is the story of God's involvement in His creation, especially with the people He created. You can't understand the rest of the Bible until you understand God wants to be involved in His creation. And you, you are part of God's creation. You are part of God's creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for that wonderful truth, how it's woven through Scripture. And though we didn't get to read it all, thank you for what we have seen and what we have understood. And may you continue to help us grasp it this week as we learn that verse and read these Scriptures. Help us to grasp how great and how mighty you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.